0: Welcome to the Work the System podcast, where we help entrepreneurs make more and work less managing their systems. And I'm your host, Josh Fonger. Today, we have a special guest. We have Lee LaFever. Lee is the co-founder of Common Craft and the author of The Art of Explanation in a new book we're going to talk about in just a minute here. Uh, since 2007, Common Craft has won numerous awards, created explanations for the world's most respected brands, and produced explainer videos that have earned over 50 million online views. All right, well, Lee, I'm excited to have you on the show today. Why don't you give us the background on your business success and also tell us about your new book release?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me, Josh. It's great to be here. Um, So yeah. You know, big enough, the book we'll talk about really starts in about 2007. So I'll start um, our story just before then. Uh, Common Craft, my company, started as a consulting company. I'd been an online community manager for a few years at a company and really got into the idea of social media back in the the early days and uh, became a consultant to help organizations understand online communities. And at the time, that meant like message boards and things like that. And what I saw at the time was that the thing that was preventing people from adopting these new tools like wikis and blogs and social networking wasn't a matter of price or features. It was understanding. It was being able to have a mental model of what these things are and why they should care about them. And I started writing out blog posts that I thought would help my consulting clients understand these new things. And... Uh, by about 2006, uh, YouTube was blowing up. Social media was coming bigger, becoming bigger. My wife Sachi joined Common Crafts. So we became a two-person company. And we started making these um, explainer videos. And we're kind of known for being the first to make explainer videos in the YouTube era. Uh, our first video was called RSS in plain English. Uh, the next one was called Wikis in plain English. And they used paper cutouts on a whiteboard to tell a story. And that was in April of 2007. And much to our surprise, uh, those videos were viral hits. And and I kind of say the 2007 version of viral hits and totally changed our lives. We suddenly became known as video producers, and we had no experience in that in the past. So we were suddenly living in a a new world. And uh, we were lucky to have a lot of opportunities and a lot of directions that we could go. And and being entrepreneurial people, we didn't just uh, you know decide or didn't, didn't just follow the money we actually took a step back and thought about how to use that opportunity to build the life that we wanted and to to have the work that we really wanted and big enough is really the story that starts in 2007 and leads to today where we um we learned a lot we we figured out a lot of things and i think that uh i think that big enough is really um, a book about two people deciding to have an unconventional business that has unconventional goals and I think it's a story that a lot of people are are are, are, are like are enjoying right now especially mm-hmm.
0: well let's let's dive into this a little bit because I think our audience is perfect for this you know they're small business owners, some of them medium business owners and a lot of them family business owners and so they have a lot of flexibility in terms of how they de- define success so how did you? Mm-hmm. And your wife, did you find what success would look like for your business?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that we discovered early on with Common Craft when we started making videos was that we were burned out very quickly. And also working from home. And we were a married couple that, you know, was spending, tw- even today, but, even, but back then spent 24-7 together. And one of the things that we thought about early on was, if our business strategy does not also support our relationship, then what's it all for? So, our, our relationship really mattered to us, and our own happiness and quality of life mattered. So, um, you know, within the first couple of years of Common Craft's success, we were burned out and really just took a step back and tried to decide what kind of business we wanted Common Craft to become. And we decided uh, to apply constraints to the business. And one of those constraints was that we were not going to have employees, that, that no matter what opportunities came our way, we would not have employees. And actually, we would use that constraint as a tool for thinking about our business strategy. And one, an example of that is we decided to discontinue doing services. Like we were being hired by companies like Google and Intel and Microsoft to make, make custom videos, but that model doesn't scale well. Uh, but we found out that our original videos, the videos that we owned, the intellectual property, um, we could license. And so we said, well, as a two-person work-from-home business, this licensing model scales really well. And we can, uh, you know, it's a long shot and a long, you know, a long bet. But um, that was really how, uh, you know, that was really transformational for Common Craft was was applying that constraint. The other constraints were working from home, not having an office, and thinking about the long term and focusing on quality of life. Were a lot of things we were thinking about at the time. That's
0: interesting. Okay, so um, instead of chasing, uh, let's just say demand. What a lot of mm-hmm. people do is like, "Hey, this person wants this, so I'm going to do it." And chasing services that you do for somebody, you decided that you put constraints. So, how did you, how did you decide which constraints to? To use, and it wasn't difficult to turn down work when it came your way. How'd you handle that?
1: Yeah, it it was it was difficult. Um, we kind of felt like that we were taking a big risk. We were taking a financial risk because we could make a lot more money doing the services, but we asked this question. That, that I refer to a number of times in the book about evaluating business opportunities. And that question is, what if it works? Like if this business opportunity actually works, what does that look like in a year or five years and 10 years? And how does your life work look in five years or 10 years? And the the path to doing services was one that we could look into the future and, and see a life that we didn't really like, um, that that we saw the licensing model as being the one that that led to the right things. Um, but. One of the one of the stories I like to tell about, about that phase was because we were the first movers in that space, we had a lot of demand. And other video producers started to pop up and say, hey, we do explainer videos too. And at first we were like, ooh, competition. What are we gonna do? We're small, so they could crush us over the long term. What what should we do? And so um I went out to the the producers that were doing the best work and said, Hey, I've got a proposition. We get we're getting a lot of demand for custom video projects and we can only do so many of them. So how about we create something called the Explainer Network on commoncraft.com and it will be sort of a marketplace for video producers and you'll pay Common Craft a monthly fee to be there. And when demand comes to us, we'll point them to the Explainer Network. And again, to our surprise, it worked. Um, and we became um, a little marketplace that had up to nine members at. at at one time, it, it fluctuated, um, but it allowed us to be sort of small, but still at the center of the little industry that was developing at the time. And it was the first time we had earned, you know, consistent passive income. And uh, was the first time we thought, like, okay, there's a lot, a lot we can learn here. There's a lot of experiments we can do, uh, all within this constraint of, of being small.
0: Well, so. For those listening to this, how do they decide because the the idea of passive income sounds great and the idea of, you know, licensing sounds great, but there's got to be some pitfalls to it as well. So what are the pitfalls of kind of going with with those types of revenue models?
1: You know, for us, um, we think of passive income really coming from owning something. Uh, there's a quote, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but there's a quote from um, the guy who started Five Hour Energy, um, who said like, you know, it sounds so trite, but to earn residual income, you have to own something. And so that could mean, you know, in sort of capitalist terms, owning property, owning companies, that sort of thing. But intellectual property is something that you can own. There's billions, billionaires are made through owning intellectual property. And that's what we discovered about our videos was every time we made a custom video for someone, we were giving away intellectual property. And and that was fine. That was part of the business transaction. They're buying that from us essentially because we own it just by a factor of having made it, we own that intellectual property. Um, And part of our agreement was to give it to the client. But for videos we made ourselves, we, we own the copyright. And I think the way to think about that is we have the exclusive right to make copies. Mm-hmm. that's true with Microsoft products that's true with software if you own the copyright you can make copies and that means that uh, you can sell one thing more than once you can sell it multiple times because you you had the exclusive right to make properties make copies so to me that's the magic of intellectual property the problem and the, the hard part is that um, it's not easy to develop enough of it to make a living um, maybe you get lucky with a great patent on a product or an invention that you can license but in our case there's just these videos that are three minutes long that aren't inherently worth that much but if you combine them into a library of over 115 videos or i guess it's currently 115 videos um, and package them and promote them and market them then they can become a product
0: so what do you do and i love this idea and you definitely you planned ahead, right? You're not gonna get rich in a day, but with the accumulation, you can get there and own mm-hmm. something. I think that's really smart. Um, what, um, what about the pitfalls of licensing in this day and age when people are so willing to steal people's stuff? And I mean, how do you protect your, your videos?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. We dealt with that a lot early on when um, we were kind of uh, at the peak of our popularity. A lot of people were inspired by our work and made videos that uh, our fans thought were were copycats and uh, could, that, that was Something we were concerned about for a while, but for the most part, people who copied our style, for instance, were just experimenting with a new kind of media and weren't in setting out to like take any of our business away. And this is one of the things about sort of the way that Common Craft looks at the world is we decided instead of, you know, sending cease and desist orders to people who are not giving us credit or copying our style, we chose the education route and tried to, to promote and put information into the world that taught people about intellectual property and giving credit where credit is due versus spending money on lawyers. And, you know, being a small business, we had the ability and the agility to do that. We don't have shareholders telling us, oh, no, you have to send in the lawyers. Um, you know, because we're a two-person team, we do what we want. We don't we don't listen to anybody about how we run Common Craft. And I think that's part of that magic of being small.
0: And. And maybe you can explain this more about it so the main for you the content you create is mainly for educators is that correct
1: um that's right most of the videos we create are used to teach to teach technology in schools and libraries and training programs okay
0: and those particular institutions because of their compliance and the regulations they can't afford to do something illegal correct
1: that's right. We often say that one of the biggest things we have on our side is, is lawyers that work in compliance departments who make sure that the company is using licensed materials and materials that are properly licensed. Um, that's another part of that intellectual property system that, that I think is part of the business.
0: So if you were um, trying to, I'm just kind of exploring this rabbit hole for fun for me, yeah. uh, would be that if you were to create explainer videos for solopreneurs that are international, that uh, work from home, they might be more apt to who knows what with your content your copyrighted content but since it's for mm-hmm. institutions that have to be compliant that have to follow rules they're not going to yeah.
1: yeah it's it's really interesting you know we we got started on YouTube that was where people discovered common craft it's where we built an audience um, and our video some videos are still on YouTube we use it mostly mostly for promotion now but there was a point where we stopped we stopped using YouTube because we wanted common craft dot com to be the home of our videos uh-huh. and that was part of our our switch to being a product company is our we our domain you know we're concerned about platform risk and what that did was it gave us more control over the videos and how they were distributed uh-huh. and it, it it kind of prevented some of that sort of kind of theft, I guess you could say. And, and even now, we, we, do, we do do takedowns on YouTube when our videos are shared there. Um, but there's an element of this that is also just the cost of doing business. If you're putting media on the internet, it's really impossible to keep people from doing it, from stealing it. Um, but at the same time, our content is not the kind of thing that's all that attractive it doesn't have you know a uh, huge entertainment value it's really it really just solves problems for educators and um as an educators are often some of the most ethical internet users thankfully
0: yeah well after this after this recording i might talk to you because one of my new clients is in the education space and we're looking for some things that you might be able to help with so this will be good yeah um oh, awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> for after the recording well um, well, I, one of the uh, questions I wanted to ask you was uh, about the entrepreneur who's kind of at a crossroads. Okay. So they, they've they been working um, for years. They've plateaued their business. And I think your book probably just covers this. I've not read it yet. Uh, again, the name of the book is called Big Enough. But how, how would they go about making that decision if they should, you know what, they should actually try to get to that next level, that, that new location, or they should, you know, think differently about it and think in terms of um, licensing or productizing or doing something else with their their business. How do they how do they know which direction is the right for them?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that you know business success is sort of a, a term that Uh, We're kind of over generations has come to mean, you know, bigger is always better and you're not doing it right unless you are trying to build the biggest business possible. And that's valid. Like, I don't I don't think that there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a real a reality. And I actually have a lot of respect for people who who choose that path. But I think that sometimes people. Um, outsource their values sometimes to what they see in magazines, what they see on TV. And I think if we start to look a little bit closer at what we actually value and what, you know, what lifestyle we wanna live and what quality of life we want and what really makes us happy and satisfied with our lives, um, a lot of times you'll find that maybe the biggest pile of money isn't where that satisfaction and happiness comes from that it might be things like family or time or community or independence or location. And if you can get in touch with those values, if you can actually try to think about what you really value, then you can see that maybe that can inform your business strategy and see that maybe, you know, everything is a trade-off. You know, is it more money? Like, you yes, you can have more independence, but you might have to give up some revenue as an example. Um, and seeing things as a trade-off and saying, well, yes, I could make more money but I might have less time or I can I can maybe stay at the same level of income and have more time then that's an equation or a calculus that that can inform you know where you want to go mm-hmm. so I think being in touch with their values is the bottom line
0: yeah I think that's that's key that's key and also I think you mentioned a key thing there which was building in constraints and mm-hmm. knowing what those things that you're not willing to give up personally or professionally values first and then figure out what is left over in terms of scaling your business and whatever that might look like. Um, mm-hmm. And there could be different seasons also for when that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you some, some kind of sign-off questions that I think everyone on the list would care about. Again, everyone here wants to, um, you know, make more or do more and they would like to work less or at least not be so stressed out about the work they're doing. Um, and that's why they follow this and they want to manage their systems. So, is there a system you've put in place in your business or in your personal life that you found really helped um, with growing your business? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. So in 2012, we started having a membership service with Common Craft, and our goal was to uh, for people to become membership members of Common Craft in a, a no-touch way, where they would just sign up. And we would get an email that someone had become a member of Common Craft. And we use Recurly is the system that we use for that. And uh, we've put a lot of time and effort into optimizing that system to make sure that everyone who touches Common Craft uh, is led through a process that gives them everything they need to use their membership. And part of that was realizing that, that Common Craft is essentially a utility service, that it's not a community. It's, it's uh, you know, a, a place for people to, to come and use a tool and then get what they need and then go and use that that media, in our case. Um, so that system of onboarding people into Common Craft in a, in a way that doesn't require our hours or our effort has been at the core of what's allowed us to to achieve what we've done so far
0: so again taking something manual automating it into a system using a technology recur- recurly. um mm-hmm. no that's good we have a few membership sites so i'm looking to that that sounds great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one, one thing I might add to that really quickly too is um, we, we have a decision that it's a uh, it's recurring revenue too. And that's been big in working with organizations who want, once a membership gets on the budget, then that renewal is much easier to, to earn than that first sale. So recurring revenue is an important part of that.
0: Yes. And this is again with those institutions, the educators. I think that's great.
1: Yep. Um, and then being
0: seen as a utility, Okay, no, that, that's, that's a yep. smart model, very smart. Um, well, what's one thing that I didn't ask you about? Maybe maybe it's your other book, but what's one thing I didn't ask you yeah. about that you wanna share with the uh, with the audience?
1: Yeah, oh man, there's a few things. Uh, I, I think you're right. I would like to say something about The Art of Explanation. Um, it came out in 2012 and has been translated into eight languages. Um, it's a book that came from um, us spending every day of our lives practically uh, working on explainer videos and really thinking about what does it take to take an idea and make it easy to understand. Um, The book is not about making videos though. It's really distilling those tips and those ideas into, uh, uh, tips for anybody who is mainly professional people who are struggling to make something clear or to earn attention and I think that, you know, clear explanations are a competitive advantage for people. And if you can become good at it, then it becomes something that uh, helps you be a better team member, a better employee, a better business owner. It helps a lot in your life. Okay. Well, very good. One more book to check out
0: uh, as well as Big Enough, which is the newest book. Uh, so where can people find the book Big Enough uh, or find you and, uh, and your explainer videos? Where should they go?
1: Yeah. Yeah, thanks for asking, Josh. <laughs> um, the book, uh, Big Enough, can be found at bigenough.life. Um, that is also, you can also find it on leelafever.com, which is my name, Leelafever. Uh, that's where the home of my writing and books. And my business is commoncraft.com. That's where our videos are. And I'm a person that's fortunate not to have competition for my name on social media. So I am Fever, at Leelafever on uh, Twitter and Instagram and places like that. All right. Well,
0: Lee, thanks again for joining me today. And thanks everybody for joining us live on Facebook or catching the recording of this on iTunes or YouTube. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, check out Lee's book, especially if you are a business owner and you are not wanting to go big necessarily, but you want to find a way to go small and enjoy your life along the way. I'm sure Lee's story will be an inspiration and you'll find some good tips along the way. Um, so Lee, thanks for that. And then also anyone who wants to get a copy of that book right there behind me, if you're watching this on video, Work the System, you can get it at workthesystem.com or if you want it free mailed to you, we do pull a name out of a hat once a week. Uh, so if you leave us a review and send us an image of that review to info at workthesystem.com, once a week, we pull a name out of the hat and then we'll mail you a copy of the book. Otherwise, we will. we'll see you next week. Thanks again, Lee.